Hey, we are in a series about, um, about faith like a child and how Jesus made so clear that he does not want us to be childish, but that we are to be childlike. And the differentiation between those two words is a powerful thought. And that's what we've been talking about. This series, it's been a lot of fun listening to the perspective of life or different topics through the eyes of children. I just love doing that. Big thank you to Joseph Gordon for helping put together these videos. But it's been a really amazing thing to hear the the perspective of children. We talked a couple of weeks ago or a number of weeks ago about the fact that children tend to be quick to forgive. And how we need to learn from them in that respect. We talked about how they are generally much more teachable and humble. Whereas we tend to drift toward an area of pride. And how we can learn from children and be childlike in that way. A couple weeks ago we talked about being unoffendable. How kids, it's hard to make a kid mad. At least to make them hold on to something very long. Whereas we can hold on to a little thing for a decade. Just like that. So there are so many things we can learn from. And today... We want to talk about the word or the concept of honesty, honesty, integrity, or the antithesis of that lying and how important it is that we learn to be quick to to be honest. You know, children don't come out of the womb lying, right? I mean, it's a learned behavior. It's something we should all wish that we had not never learned and that uh, we we should try to let go of. Kids are bad at lying, which is a good thing. I wish we all were bad at lying. But, um, you know. At the same time, there's another learned element in this context, and that is being tactful. Now, we we come out of the womb quick to tell the truth and bad at lying, but it takes time to develop this thing called tact, learning how to be thoughtful and gentle and polite with how you word things. You can tell the truth, but still you've got to say it in the right way. How many of you have ever been around a child that told the truth they, without any ill intent. They were just trying to speak the truth, but they did so in such a way that it kind of hurt somebody's feelings because they didn't understand tact. Anybody ever been around a, a kid like that? I, I saw that happen once with my son, Ethan, who, who um, I asked permission to tell this story because he does not like this story, but he allowed me to tell this story. When he was graduating from kindergarten, I think we got a picture. There he is, the tall one in the middle. And... Um, and Mrs. Brown is his teacher standing there behind. In fact, here's a close-up of them in the next picture. So um, at that point, when Ethan was six years old or so, he loved Mrs. Brown. She was a wonderful teacher. And she being a kindergarten teacher right across the room from Kim, my wife was also a kindergarten teacher at the school at that time. They kind of had a special friendship naturally. And Mrs. Brown decided, partly because of that and also because Ethan was a good student in her class, she wanted to take special interest in him and do this really special reading project, just one-on-one, just her and him. And so at the end of the uh, school year, through the summer, they did this project and read a bunch of books together, and she had all this, a lot of neat elements to it, but it culminated with her coming over and doing a one-on-one date thing and just taking him out to a restaurant, a really fancy restaurant. He remembers the flames of the food they cooked in front of him. It was a really big deal. And he was like, oh, it was the coolest thing. And anyway, they came back to our house. And as Mrs. Brown was standing here and Ethan was here and Kim and I were here, we were just trying to tell her, thank you so much. Oh, Benita, fantastic. Thank you so much. And, And Ethan liked her. And he had said things about liking her as a teacher But I thought I had heard him say this, and so I just said, yeah, Ethan has said many times, Mrs. Brown, you are his favorite teacher, how much he just thinks you're the best teacher in the world. 
And he interrupted me and he said, no, I didn't. I never said that. She's not my favorite teacher. Mrs. Saylor's my favorite teacher. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to kill you. You know, I wanted to wring his neck. That was his teacher from the year before in preschool. I'm like, okay, technically you did say she was the favorite. But you got to learn not to say stuff like that. Mrs. Brown was like, oh, that's fine. And she was out walking away feeling bad. And I was like, oh, I'm going to kill my son. But anyway, now the good thing about that is that he didn't mean to do anything inappropriate. I mean, obviously, he was just simply trying to tell the truth. Um, he wanted to be clear about the facts. That's a good thing. And so it's quick. It's natural for us to be quick to forgive and overlook something like that in a child. But when that happens in an adult, when we fail to show tact, when we are gentle, when we hide behind statements like, well, I was just speaking the truth. If the truth hurts, you know, it's not my problem or whatever. What we're doing is saying, hey, I just want to speak the truth and be a jerk at the same time and, you know, as if that's okay. It's not. Scripture teaches clearly, Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Any, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for, what is the phrase? Building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We need to learn to make sure that what we say is not only truthful, but helpful for building others up, that it's encouraging, that it's impositive, and, and all those kinds of things. We, we need to learn how to do that, but we also, again, need to learn from children developing this childlike faith, and that is to go back to the way we were when we were born, which is to be bad at lying, good at telling the truth. Children are that way, and we should all be that way as well. We went through this, to some degree, this topic last year, During the summer, we went through the Ten Commandments. If you were here and you were part of that, you remember that. The Ninth Commandment says this in Exodus chapter 20. It says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You could almost shorten that. Some people have have just shortened it to say, thou shalt not lie. It's basically the essence of it. And that's what we talked about a year ago. And since we just did, and more importantly, because I want to really shorten things for the sake of letting you hear from two ladies who just got back from Africa and have have some incredible things to share with us, I want to preach a short sermon. Is that okay? Is anybody going to get mad if I preach a short sermon? Is that all right? Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, um, let me do that. And let me begin with this. I think the definition of lying that we all need to keep in mind is this. It is any attempt to deceive. In other words, I think you can tell the truth and still be a liar. In that if you are speaking officially, the technically what's coming out of your mouth is truth. But you know that the person listening is getting the wrong idea. And you're leaving out certain details or saying it in such a way as it kind of leads them down whatever path when really the truth is over here. You may technically be able to say, yeah, what came out of your mouth was technically true, but you're still a liar because any attempt to deceive is a lie. It's a big deal. This is a big topic. It's kind of a heavy topic because it hits pretty much every single one of us right between, right between the eyes, doesn't it? But it's a big deal to God, and that's why, that's why it made his top ten list. A recent survey of Americans said that 66%, Two out of three. Two out of three of us in America say that it is not wrong, that it is okay to lie in certain situations. In other words, it's situational ethics. You know, if the situation calls for, it's okay to lie in some situations. Two out of three of Americans think that. And only one out of three think that this statement is true, that honesty is always the best policy. Only one out of three would say, yeah, I agree with that. And so... While it may be common, clearly it is, common and grossly under, 
underrated in terms of significance in our world, which is, by the way, how we come up with this notion or that little phrase. It's just a little white lie. You ever heard that? Maybe said that there is no such thing as a little white lie. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but but there is no such thing. But that's where that all comes from. And yet it is a big deal to God and it needs to be to us as well. If you ever wonder about that, if we had more time, we'd look at it. But in Acts chapter 5, there's an incredible story that shows very clearly how big of a deal honesty, integrity, lying, how big of a deal these things are to the Lord. In that story, Ananias and Sapphira, a married couple, sold some property. Now, at that point, it was theirs to do with what they wanted. They didn't have to sell it, in fact. But when they sold it, they had X amount of money. They could do what they wanted with that. They came to the church, though, and said, we are giving all of the proceeds, all of the, the money that we got in that sale, we're giving it to the church, which was a lie. Now, they didn't have to do that. I mean, they didn't have to give all of it. They didn't have to give. They could have given 20 percent, 10 percent or zero. But they chose to say, we're giving 100 percent of it. Motive? Well, obviously, they just wanted more pats on the back. They wanted more people to go, "Ooh, wow, look at them. That's wow. There's something else. So they lied about that one at a time. Ananias was in the room first. Uh, Sapphira was gone, and then she came in later. But both of them, when they were asked, was that really the price you got for the land? Yes, it was. Boom, they dropped down dead. God struck them dead right at that moment. If you wonder, is lying a big deal to God? Read over that story. It's very clear. It is a big deal to him. It is a huge significant thing to him and whether it is or not to us it should be because it is to him today lying though is not only common to many people it's considered normal or acceptable or even in many cases necessary you have to be able to lie to get anywhere some would tell you but it's not true according to god's word and you know what it's not just a modern problem not just here in the 21st century. The Bible is brutally honest in exposing the failures of many people that we admire, we look up to in God's word, that were also people who struggled with this concept. You're not alone. I'm not alone. When it comes to lying, there are a long list of people in God's word that struggled as well. People that we look up to, that we admire. People like Abraham and, and Sarah and Moses and Aaron and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Rachel, David, Peter in the New Testament, all the above and more were exposed in Scripture through various stories and different books and chapters of God's Word as people who lied. It's a big deal. And yet just because it was common and is common does not make it less of a, uh, less of a situation that we should be concerned about or less of a sin. It is a big deal. Proverbs 19 verse 9 says, A false witness will go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will perish. Now some would look at that and go, Okay, okay, pastor, so lying is something that I might be punished for, and I might eventually perish. You know, there might be eternal damnation. But other than that, what's a, what's the, what other reasons are there to not lie? As if you need more than that. But um, if so, let me just give you five more. And we talked about this last year. So let me fly through these briefly so that we can maximize our time with the ladies and their um, stories about Africa. But let me tell you a couple of very important things. And if you're filling in the blanks, write this down because this is important. If I'm a parent, which not everybody in the room is, but if you are a parent, this is a big deal because your children are watching. They are watching. More often things are caught than they are taught. 
they watch you more than they listen to you. And we each need to regularly ask ourselves, what is my lifestyle communicating? What is my example teaching my children? Not just what comes out of my mouth, but what do I do? What do I model for them? Proverbs chapter 20 says, the godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. I would tell you one of the greatest gifts you can ever give your children doesn't come from a store. It is the example of integrity. If you model that and practice that, even in moments where you don't think you're being watched, you probably are, and you are giving them a gift that that blows away everything else you could possibly give them. In a similar fashion, point number two would be this. As a Christian, I'm being watched by unbelievers. Those on the outside looking in are watching you and me very closely. Now, we're often unaware of that truth, but that is happening. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 5. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before men. In other words, because they're watching. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know, there are people you work with, maybe neighbors you live by or others that you associate with in some other way. And, and they might disagree with you or you with them when it comes to politics or personality types or preferences about this or that or sports or whatever and all of that's fine you can disagree about that but i can i tell you this they need to see in you integrity they need to watch you when you say the transmission is good and you sell them that car it better be good they they are watching you and paying attention to you and the integrity that you live or fail to live is having potentially eternal consequences based on those that are learning from you and that are forming opinions about our Lord and Savior by what they see in you. Number three would be this. What comes out of my mouth reveals what's in my heart. Scripture teaches over and over and over again, especially in the New Testament, that so much of who we are is all about our heart. Our heart is the key, not the blood pumping organism or you know, organ in our body, but, but who we are on the inside. And the Lord talked about that when he said these The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Somewhat related to that would be number four. And that is that individual steps lead to ongoing patterns. Now, I've been here almost 10 years uh, as a pastor, and I have loved the quote I want to put on, on the screen here. I've probably brought it up four or five times, so maybe you've heard it before. But this is so powerful. It has always moved me and really hit me. When you sow a thought you reap a deed. And when you sow that deed, you reap a habit. And when you sow that habit, you reap a character. And when you sow the character, that's what leads to your destiny. Do you see how the connecting of dots needs to happen there? We often look at the beginning of that, thoughts, you know, maybe even deeds. Those aren't big deals. You know, everybody makes mistakes or what, what happens in your head doesn't matter as long as it doesn't come to fruition. Not true. Not true. If we had time, we'd talk about the story of David with Bathsheba. His big problems were not just when he made big decisions. It was the little stuff that led up to that, the connecting of dots that led him to that place of adultery and then murder. Jesus also said in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Big mistakes are usually predicated by little mistakes or precipitated by them. 
And big success in a similar way is almost always built on lots of small successes as well. Individual steps lead to ongoing patterns. This is so critical for all of us. That's why there is no such thing as a little white lie. Because little white lies built on top of another become stronger and stronger. They turn into patterns. And then the pattern of lying can lead to who knows where, you know, the the road can go a long ways down a very dark path. There's no such thing as a little white lie. Number five would be this. I reap what I sow. We reap what we sow. Straight from Scripture, Galatians chapter 6, God said this through Paul. He said, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And I think the implied word here, it's not in the sentence, but the implied word is always. It's not sometimes a man reaps what he sows or, or oftentimes. A man, no, I think the implication is always, always what comes around goes around. Always we reap what we sow. We can count on it. Take it to the bank. So let me put it like this. Let me ask you this. If you tell the truth 90% of the time, what are you? You're a liar. You really are. Now, that's, a, that's an A- minus in a you know, school setting. 90%, you know, that's pretty good. But not in this way. 90% of the time telling the truth, what's better than telling the truth? Less than that, but it still leaves you way falling short of where God wants you to be. Whether it be 10% or 1%, whatever, if you lie on a consistent basis or in this or that context, you are a habitual liar and, and you are going to find that there are consequences to that. That people are less likely to want to be your friend. People are not going to trust you. Let me ask you. If, if you had a friend that you knew told truth only about 90% of the time, are you going to trust them in business dealings and say, yeah, I want to get into business with that person? Probably not. Would you want that person, to, hey, let me introduce you to my young single daughter and uh, set you up on a date? Probably not. You know, Honesty is a big deal. And in that respect... There are consequences to those who lie, just like there are rewards for telling the truth. It may be painful in the short term, but telling the truth has great reward. All right, so in closing, before we move on from here, here's the deal. Obviously, I, I would think all of us probably are squirming a little bit going, yeah, you know what? At some point or another, I've struggled with that. Maybe right now I'm still struggling with that. I don't want you to just go home feeling bad. That's not the point of the message. I want you to see that there is hope. But I do want you to understand that God's word is clear that this is a big deal. And even though our culture and many even in the church will often say, well, little white lies aren't a big deal. That's not true. So I wanted to dispel that. But I want to lead you down a path of showing you that there's something better and that there's hope in the middle of all this. Let me remind you again of that list of those in Scripture that were known as liars. Again, people like Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel, David and Peter. You know, God was often referred to in Scripture as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Was that because they were known to be liars and God wanted to associate himself with such? Of course not. God was called and and allowed himself to be called the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob because those three guys, along with all the others in that list, were more than liars. Yes, they were liars. He, God, said, I want to be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob because they they were people that were more than liars. There was something beyond that. And that is that they were forgiven. And we can be, you can be as well. 
God's word is so clear about that. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if you know it, say it with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That, that doesn't say if we confess, you know, uh, this number, but once we hit number 100 or pick a number, we've hit our quota and he's done with us. There's no quota there. It's an open-ended thing. It's a beautiful thing from him in that way. And purify us from how much unrighteousness? Most? No, from all unrighteousness. God washes it clean. If, if, that's the key. The very first word is the key. If we confess. If we open up. You know, I've heard others say, and I think it is very wisely well put, it is not the mistakes in life that define us nearly as much as it is our response to the mistakes So childlike faith that we need to develop. Childlike faith is not just being quick to tell the truth and slow to lie. Childlike faith is also being quick to say, I'm sorry. Quick to repent. Quick to come clean and say to God, here's who I am. Lord, I want to lay it at your feet and I beg you to not only forgive me, but to lead me down a different path. That's what the word repentance means, to go in a new direction. And God gives us that opportunity right here today. People, uh, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn, turn from them, they will receive mercy. That is so beautiful. All these liars turned saints in the Bible, if you will, set an amazing example for us, not in that they were liars, but that in in that they repented, in that they turned, in that they went a new direction, and God remembered their sin no more. He removed their sin as far as the east is from the west, and he will do the same for you and for me. And we have today an opportunity to come clean. We're going to close in a little while with a song, in a little while, about 15 minutes from now, and I want to encourage you if you feel right now, you know what, I need to lay that, lay that down before the Lord. I want to come clean and trust the Lord. I want to invite you to come and do that. But first, but first, I want to take about 15 minutes and let you hear from uh, Kristen Tessing and also my wife Kimberly, who just got back from Africa. I'm going to invite them to come up on stage, and you can first watch a short video that kind of sets the stage. Come on up, ladies. You're the God of this city, you're the King of these people, you're the Lord of this nation, you are, you're the light in this darkness, you're the hope to the hopeless, you're the peace to the restless, you are, there is no one like our God.
great or what? So, so Kim and Kristen spent some time together over there in that great big place, Africa. There are two different countries there. I think we've got a picture there. So you can see Kenya there uh, on the coast and Uganda just a little bit inland from there. We have flags up here because we have uh, been supporting them along with others for quite some time. There's Uganda there and Kenya over here. And, um, uh, we have missionaries there that we have never been able to go and support until now. And so, Kim, if you could, or together, uh, talk just a little bit about how it is that this trip came to be and uh, you went at different times, how that all played out and why. Well, as Scott said, we've been supporting these missionaries financially for a number of years, but we've never been there to see firsthand what they're actually doing. So I left the week before Kristen because I was um, doing some work with with my job in the capital city of Kampala. And then Kristen met up with me and her friend Alicia, and we traveled about three hours south to the town of Masaka where Rita lives and where she does her mission work there. And Uganda is a beautiful country. It's so lush and green. The natural resources are amazing, and yet it's very underdeveloped. Like, there's no Starbucks or McDonald's, so that's saying something for a country. (laughs) But um, about 80% of the population is under the age of 30. So very, it's one of the youngest populations in the world there. So there's a lot of opportunity to reach the youth. And, and, it, and it's a young country. Did you hear that? 80%, 30 and under. Because? Because of warfare within the country, civil war, and also because of the prevalence of disease there. So very young population. And as you saw in the video, English is widely spoken because it was... Um, it was settled by the British years ago, and so the youth are taught English in school. So they are, most of them are bilingual, um, so it's easy to communicate with the kids in particular. All right, but then in terms of, of uh, the children there, talk about a little bit who Rita is. Many of you have met Rita, heard her. She's been here at church, I don't know how many times, but almost every year or every other year to share and give an update. 
But until you're there, you probably don't understand. Talk about what you said in first service about learning more about Right, her. yeah. So I've, I've sat out there year after year and listened to Rita, and we've had conversations with her. But I, it never really clicked with me what she actually does until we were there. And being there to experience firsthand what she does, I can tell you it is fantastic, the work that she does with these kids. She basically takes in kids that have been recommended to her from the town municipality, similar maybe to like our um, Department of Human Services or something. So kids who are very vulnerable, which most of the kids there are, but these in particular have been brought to the city council or something like that and and they ask Rita can you help them and so she sponsors them she pays their school fees for them she helps them buy things that they need like food or hygiene items and she provides a family for them and their lives are being changed. These kids, most of them are orphans because their parents died of AIDS. Some of them have been living on their own since they were 13 or 14. They've been raised by a, another family member or a, a guardian in some cases. And now they have the opportunity to complete high school and even go on to further their education by learning a trade, going to trade school, or by going to a university. And Rita even fills in the role of a parent by helping them choose their university or their trade school and following them through like a family member would. And, and yet, as Rita would say, and I know you guys saw as well, the most important component to what she does is the spiritual part. Talk a little bit about that, what, what you saw in them in terms of how they, uh, where they're at spiritually. So part of the requirement to be in her program is they have to attend Bible studies every week. They have to go to activities at the center that she has. They um, participate in a local church. They don't have to go to all the same church. They can choose their own church, but that's part of, of the program requirements with her. And their faith is so amazingly deep. For being as young as they are, I, I was amazed at them, um, especially in light of the circumstances that they've grown up in. They read the Bible, and they believe it. If God says it, they believe it. It's just, okay, why would you ever doubt that? And when they pray to God, they are praising God for who he is. They're not filled with, God, please help me with this. God, please give us this blessing. God, please do this for me. They're saying, God, you are good. God, I believe in you. I trust you. You are powerful. You are holy. Here I am. Let me serve you. You talked about how a couple of them, like this young man and a couple others that could be, maybe even your your word was should be in ministry or um, uh, or being a worship pastor or something like that. You saw a lot of talent in a bunch of the kids. Is that correct? Yeah, it's amazing. They're so incredibly gifted. I looked at them and I just, I told Rita several times, this is amazing what you're doing. These kids would not have a chance in this world, but for being part of your program, they now have hope. They have a future and they are using their gifts that are being developed now through this program to serve others. Their hearts for serving the country of Uganda are huge. 
And she has a website. I think we have a picture of that here as well that uh, you talked about a little bit first service. Yeah, faithhopelovemissions.org. You can look it up during while we're talking. I don't care. But you can read more about what Rita does and then the kids that she sponsors. She currently has eight that she's sponsoring right now actually that she asks for people to help sponsor, very similar to what Compassion does, to help pay for their schooling, to help pay for their basic living needs. She has a couple kids that live in a little um, side building attached to her house because they don't have a place to live. So they're kind of like dorm students. They just live there in her house. And she, Rita and I have been uh, corresponding a little bit, as these ladies, of course, have even more. But, um, and she's just said, I cannot say thank you enough, Scott. Please tell Impact the same thing. I cannot say thank you enough. Impact is her number one supporting church. And she said it has just radically changed the lives of these young people. And the ministry that she's doing, according to Kim and Kristen, is just a beautiful and incredible thing. So thank you for all that you've done. Kristen is going to talk a little bit about you, or about uh, Kenya, where she went. Because Kim then left after her business thing that she was there for and then the time together in Uganda. And then she went home. Kristen, what else would you add about Uganda first and then tell us about Kenya? Yeah, my take take home from Uganda was Rita. She was amazing. Um, she loves the Lord, and she just want these, wants these kids to love the Lord, too. So she is their mom, just like Kim said. Um, Joseph, one of the kids, um, would come over and have dinner with us, and he would stay until Rita had to finally kick him out, and he would just talk and talk and talk. And then Rita said, and make sure to text me when you get home. So Rita's <laughs> definitely their mom. <laughs> so at that point, um, Kim got on a plane to come home, and then you and a friend named Alicia, who uh, lives in, in, Can- or, no, in Salida, uh, together jumped on a bus. I rode about 10 hours, is that right, or so? Yeah, we left at 7 p.m. and then arrived in Kenya at 5 a.m. And it was pretty funny because we the bus was full of locals, and it was their cold season, like 70 degrees. So the bus was very stuffy and hot, so we had our window wide open. And then some local would come and shut the window, and we'd be like... Jeez, we'd open the window and then some local would come. So it was kind of fun. Um, but we arrived safe and Kennedy picked, it up, picked us up and allowed us to take a shower. And then a couple hours later um, came and got us and we drove to the dump site. Um, and just driving into the dump site was um, just mind-boggling. Um, if you, you see it and you see it and you see it, but until, just like Kim said, until you go there, you don't understand it. Um, the smell, the bugs, the flies just swarming around, around you constantly. And so there's 70 children with their um, families there, um, parents and grandparents, and um, living on the dump. And it came to be because that's their only option. But the dump is better than the streets because the streets brings the alcohol and the prostitution. So the dump is better than that, and they have a community. And then they have a pastor, Pastor Kennedy, who comes and shares the word and feeds them. Um, And he also schools the preschoolers there. And so they have a school on the dump as well. And they have three teachers. And so those preschoolers get taught, and they get fed um, breakfast and lunch. And so that's what Pastor Kennedy is doing, and that's what you guys are doing through his ministry um, by supporting them. And so it, it's an amazing, it's an amazing ministry. Um, and now their goal is to try to get the kids to boarding school. So just like what Rita's doing, now they want to get. There's some kids that are ready, but they just don't have the support or sponsors um, to go to boarding school. Um, so that's 
our hope from here is to get some of those kids out of the dump. There's one picture, um, uh, Garrett, if you can go back to the one where the mom is holding up the food. Yeah, there. So for those of you who know, um, just a short few weeks ago, we had a special day, an awesome day where we came together as a church family. You guys um, were asked to, on on the spur of the moment, give a secondary donation or offering to help provide food so that we could give away 2,000 pounds worth of. It was a huge stack of these individually packed um, things of food. We came and did an assembly line and did all that together and made this and sent it to Mexico to go and be distributed by Tony, who we work with down there and, you know, with people that have all kinds of need. But the need, as you can kind of visualize through what Kristen and Kim are talking about in Africa, is even greater. And so Kristen took with her um, a similar product from that same group called Kids Against Hunger. And she only had one suitcase uh, allotment to take. So 50 pounds was her max. So she took that and was able to give that to them. Talk about how that impacted and and, uh, where that might, if if we can make it happen, how that might move forward. Um, So, yeah, we got to give them each a package of food. And that feeds six people. um, So it would feed their family. And one meal can bring a kid back from starvation if they have one meal a day with this package of food. And so we were able to give every mom on the dump site one package of meals, which was amazing. (laughs) Um, And they were all um, so very grateful for it because all they really eat is cabbage, beans, and rice. Um, And so we hope that Kennedy gets his visa and comes here just um, just like Tony came. And then we can possibly do another meal packaging here for Africa. Yeah, because um, a key thing is on that Sunday that we did that just a few weeks ago, we told you we needed um, $1,250 to make that happen that day. And you guys as a church family gave, I can't even remember now, but between six and $7,000 that day on the spur of the moment. And so what we're going to be able to do now is at least once more, probably that was a half price deal. It's really $2,500 to do that. And so we're going to be able to do that at least once more and hope to be able to get that shipped over to Kenya and maybe do that on a regular basis to help them uh, be able to make a difference in the lives of these young people that literally are living in a dump trying to not starve to death. I mean, it is that drastic what they're going through. Getting the food to the shore of Africa is easy. The logistics that we're having to work through is how do we get it from the shoreline into the right hands so that others, pirates or whoever, don't steal it and sell it and, you know, take advantage of it from that angle. So we're working on all that. When we get to that point, get those logistics figured out, we will set up another time to come and have the uh, the opportunity to be part of the assembly line and make all of that and send it over there, pray over it and, and help them. And, and, uh, and hopefully this summer get to meet Pastor Kennedy, who will be here for the first time, hopefully, um, real soon. And we'll get to hear from him a little bit about that and how he ministers and shares Jesus as he meets their physical needs, as he shares Jesus with them too. So um, super exciting. We're running close to out of time, but ladies, tell us um, if you would, I don't know if you heard what Kim said, but one of the key things that really impacted me when she came back and just started telling me some of the details was how we as Christians in America who have so many things taken care of us, we take for granted so much that we have that people over there do not have. We have so much more than most anywhere else, any other people group in the world, and yet Interestingly, what she observed, and talk about this a little bit, what she observed was that they pray and they worship in music 
with a little bit different focus than what we do, despite the fact that they have so much less than us. Talk a little bit about that again, if you would. Well, yeah, I, I was really impressed with, like I said, the depth of their faith. When God speaks, they believe it. And how their prayers are full of praise, then thanksgiving, then maybe a little bit of petition in there. But mostly they're just focused on exalting the Lord and saying how great he is and how much they love him and adore him and are so grateful to be in relationship with him and to be his child. So the takeaway from that, Kristen, what do you, what, what do you take away from that? To me, it's a little bit of, you know, it's, it's not wrong to ask God for blessing and, and, and favor. That's fine. But the fact that they who have so much less than us don't do that nearly as much as us. I don't know. How did that hit you? Or, or what's your other takeaway from this whole thing? I think um, to see them praise and worship and just their voices come alive with their amazing talents. Um, their personalities were so much different when they had the microphone and they were singing praises to our God. Um, when you talk to them, very reserved and very quiet, and a lot of history um, kind of keeps them quiet in the normal um, community. But then when they sing their praises to God, they are who they are and who God made them. And it was amazing. And I think there's a lot of takeaway in all of this in that we need to constantly be aware that there are others in the world. The world does not revolve around just us here in, in Teller County or Colorado or the U.S. in a general sense, but it, it, it is a big place. And we need to be aware of and, and focused on and eager to meet needs where we can. Uh, we can't fix all of that, but where we can, we want to try to help where we can. But also be reminded, the thing that just really hit me is I need to be reminded that it's, it's okay to say, dear Lord, help me with this or that, or God, here's my need, can I lay that out before you? But I need to also be more like the African young people and just simply say, oh, dear God, I worship you for who you are. You are an amazing and incredible God, and I just want to honor you and worship you. And the fact that they do that, even though they have 10 times or 100 times the need that I have, and yet they tend to praise God more than I do or than we do, really, really hit me. And so uh, I'd like to ask you to stand. The band's going to lead us in a song. But I want to ask that all of us, as we sing this song, which is about the cross, about the crown that Jesus wore, the crown of thorns that he wore for us, that we need to be reminded that really all the wealth we've ever needed, the wealth that we have is really not the stuff or the things in our pocketbooks or purses or you know, bank accounts. It is the wealth that we have through Jesus. And in that respect, we are the same. The same as those that are in poverty in Africa or any other country like that. We are the same. We are loved by the Lord and we need to love him with all we've got. So as we sing this song, if you want to come and maybe just, just lay at the foot of the cross, something that has at times come between you and the Lord, maybe it goes back to the honesty, integrity thing we talked about earlier. Maybe it's something else. But if you want to just say, Lord God, I want to be totally honest and open with you and i want to worship you for who you are with all i've got with my whole heart here's your opportunity maybe you just stand where you're at and you lift your hands in praise but let's worship him and remember that the wealth that we all have is all because of what jesus did for us on the cross and this is our chance to just say thank you let's sing there is